Have you ever wondered why some young people choose to end their lives? Ever wondered who they are and who they left behind? Have you ever wanted to hear their stories? Would you like answers to these questions and many more? Welcome to Suicide Pages with Dr. Lulu. Her mission is to shine light on these young people, create awareness for, and educate the world on youth suicide. Opinions expressed in this podcast are those of Dr. Lulu and her guests. They are not a substitute for professional advice. If you are experiencing suicidal thoughts, call 1-800-273-TALK or send a text to www.crisistextline.org. Now, here's Dr. Lulu. Welcome back to Suicide Pages, the podcast with Dr. Lulu. Y'all, it is going to be a fantastic one. I can already tell because I have a very unique choir guest with me today. Her name is Dr. Lynette Charity. I guess we've known each other-ish virtually, and then we finally met even more virtually last week, and we hit it off. You know when they say your energies collide? We literally hit it off running. We've been laughing and just joking, and it's been such a fun thing that I actually told her to become my mentor. I didn't ask her. I said, ma'am, you're going to be my mentor, and that's it. Her name is Dr. Lynette Charity. She's an anesthesiologist, been doing that for many, many years. She'll put the number to those years in a minute. She's also a humorist, and I love that. I think I'm funny, but she is actually claiming it, and she's funny. She makes me laugh and I love it. She's basically one of those doctors that has so many levels that we couldn't even figure out which level to come in to talk about the stuff that I talk about. For those of you that have been listening to the podcast, you know I talk about a very heavy topic. But like I said on my first intro episode, I can't think of anyone better to do this because I bring my energy and my passion and my and just I bring me into this. And so it's not as heavy. She is going to talk about physician suicide, an even heavier topic because I'm one and I've kind of looked it in the eye. She's going to take us there in a nice, almost fun way. I have so much respect for this woman. Without further ado, let us all give a round of applause to Dr. Lynette Charity, my guest for today on Suicide Pages with Dr. Lulu, the podcast. Welcome, Dr. Lynette Charity. <laughs> Thank you so much, Dr. Lulu, for having me. And you're right. We are sisters of the virtual reality, That's even right. though we haven't physically met yet. And I, <laughs> I do do connect with you very much so. So I guess let's just get started with let's uh, do it. Let's do it. Yeah, a little bit of a story. You know, you you said I'm an anesthesiologist. I I do want to let people know that I've been practicing for 41 years. Ah! <laughs> I thought I was bad at 30. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, 41 years. And uh, the reason why I think I connected with Dr. Lulu is that we have something in common. And it's not something you always want to have in common, but just the fact that suicide is out there, 
depression is out there. And we as physicians, uh, we don't want to share our stories of the struggles that we're having in healthcare with these things. So I tell my story by starting with how I got into speaking about suicide. And what happened is that about, oh, I'll say about five years ago, uh, a very dear colleague, friend of mine, who was struggling with depression and some other issues, uh, killed himself. And uh, it brought home this whole idea of, I didn't know about it. I, I could see some of the signs of depression in him. I could see some of his destructive behavior, but I didn't know how to approach him. I didn't know how to talk about him. And then it was too late. And so recently I did a TED talk and in it, I revealed my struggle and I revealed the struggle that I think that a lot of physicians that have mental illness face today. And that is that stigma of being having a, a mental illness and not being able to get treatment for it. And that because of that, that leads you down the road of potentially having suicidal ideations. Now, my story is one of back in uh, 1997. I've, I've suffered with depression most of my life. I've hit it very well most of the time. But in 1997, when I was uh, a practicing physician in Washington State, uh, I had a lot of things happening in my life. And before you know it, the voices started talking to me and telling me to kill myself. And so I said, well, yeah, maybe that's what I should do because I'm not a good doctor. I'm not a good mother. These voices just tell you all of these weird things. And then it says, why don't you just kill yourself? And you say to yourself, sure, that seems like a reasonable thing to do. And literally, I walked on a bridge. I climbed up to the top railing. I stood there looking down at the water. And I knew that if I jumped, everything that was in my head was going to go away, including me. But I stood there and I felt content to jump until another voice entered my head. And believe it or not, it was my mother. And uh, my mother and I were very close. She died last year, but she, we were very close. And all she said was, call your mama. I'm from the South. And that's what she said in my ear. And it made me stand up. It made me take, it made, gave me clarity for a moment. And the first thing that I thought was, if I kill myself before I talk to my mother, she's going to kill me. <laughs> and, it, and it made me just go, oh my goodness, what am I doing? So I got down off the bridge. My husband finally found me because I had been wandering around the city crying and talking to myself. You would have thought that I was some sort of, uh, uh, you know, person, homeless person, I guess. But the point was that uh, I got into treatment. I got on medication. I went into counseling. But the fear came when I realized that once I got better, I wanted to go back to work. And then I worried about the fact that if the credentialing board, if the hospital, if, if they found out that I was on antidepressants and if I, you know, seeing a psychiatrist, 
that they wouldn't hire me. I wouldn't be able to get a job because on a lot of these credentialing forms, there's that box that you have to check. And I had been lying most of the time until now because I had never really been on medication. Now I was on medication. Someone had documentation. You know, if I check the box, no, then technically I'm lying because I was on medication. So what did I do? I took myself off my medication and I stopped seeing my psychiatrist, even though I felt the best I had felt in years, in years. And, and, and went off on my merry way, filled out the paperwork and went on practicing and, uh, and struggled through all of my depressive episodes up until recently when I had another severe depression episode. And I said, you know, screw this. I'm not doing this anymore. I know that's right. <laughs> yeah. And so went back on medication. I, I see a counselor now and I, I am 67 years old and I am finally finally good in my body. Good, wonderful, feeling good. And I need to share my struggles, which, you know, I, there are a lot of struggles I've had over the years, but this whole idea of doctors, 400 physicians approximately die by suicide each year. That's more than one a day. We have medical students that are hanging themselves in their dormitory rooms. We have residents that are shooting themselves. We are taking pills. This has got to stop. And the only way it's going to stop is for those of us who have struggled to come out and share our stories. Hallelujah. Could you please say that again for those at the back? Like say that louder for those at the back. Oh my word. I am goosebumped all over, Doc. This is, I knew it was going to be an amazing episode, but this is so amazing. Oh my God. Thank you. Oh my God. What else do you want to know, Dr. Lulu? I, I, you know what? At this point, I, I mean, we can go over the stuff real quick because you're basically telling the story of my life. I myself was suicidal. I myself was afraid of being on medication, the repercussions. But the day I came home and told my wife I was going to kill myself, she was like, not on my watch. Mm -hmm. Everything she was doing and took me to Austin, Texas to look at the water and to just because she knows I'm a, I'm a water kind of person. I'm an outdoors kind of person. Went and looked at joy fish and whatever. And she started talking to me and telling me, look, you have to, you have to for your sake, for your kid's sake, for, you know, all of that. And then of course I got a medication, got counseling. And just like you, I was like, what's going to happen to me? I was active duty, but thankfully the air force was like, look, look left and look right. Everyone else is on medication for one thing or the other. So the efforts was extremely instrumental in me staying on my medications and getting counseling, except at one point, the medicines didn't really gel with me anymore. So I just stayed on the counseling because one day I wanted to just drive off the road. I wanted to drive off the road. I was ready to drive off the road and then just say goodbye to no one. But I love the fact that you said the voice that you heard was your mama's voice. I wish I could say that. That's amazing. Because most people would say, oh God, or some divine. It was your mama said like a true, a true Southern bell, your mama's voice. And I'll say that um, I usually try to pick a quote that someone has said during their interview. And yours today is, 
if I jump off this bridge before I call my mom, she's going to kill me. That is amazing. Yeah, you will have jumped off the bridge and been dead, but your mama is still going to kill you. It's amazing. That's amazing power she had, which was a good power. This was a good thing. So thank you so much. for. I know there's much more, but I was going to mention a couple of things. By the way, that 400 doctors per year, I did the math, is 1.1 per day. But it's also that study came out in 1978. <laughs> I know five doctors already this year. So, and I'm sure you know more and, you know, residents and medical students. And I had a, a resident when I was in, when I was active duty Air Force, who just one day called me and said, Doc, I'm not coming into work anymore. I don't want to be a doctor anymore. I was so proud of him. So proud of him because he was like, I don't want to do this anymore. The Air Force, we deployed him and put him somewhere else, but he's not a doctor anymore, to my knowledge. I don't have any follow-up on him, but that's what happened. So thank God he did that. Otherwise, there's no telling where he was on his journey to suicide. Mm. And that was my whole idea. My, my intro episode, I said, I want to paint the journey to suicide. Majority of us start the journey. Unfortunately, some of us make it to the destination, but many don't. And I want the stories of both those that have made it to destination and those of us that have not. And that is my mission. That's my passion. That's my whole, my dream for this podcast. So yes, he started the journey, but thankfully he called and said, nope, stop the train. I'm coming off. And that was amazing. And you did the same thing. Medical students, countless people send me. Yesterday, my 14-year-old son sent me something on Instagram and he ran and said, mom, did you look at the, what I sent you? He had tagged me on Instagram. A girl had gotten an Instagram poll that she wanted to decide. She couldn't decide if she wanted to live or die. And 66% or something of the cowards, as far as I'm concerned, said you should die. Mm -hmm. Killed herself. That is just, it, it's just amazing. And, and these young people today, you know, they play the choking game. They play all these different games. And, and it's like, what is it that's going on in our society? You're, you're actually working now on teen suicide, but this whole shaming game and being ostracized. And, and what are the coping mechanisms do these young people have now? Back, you know, I, I am older. And back in the day when there were clicks, and all of that, we still seem to have had better coping mechanisms. I honestly have to say that I don't remember ever saying, oh my goodness, because I can't be in this group, I'm going to kill myself. But that's what they do now. And the youngest person that I know of, of, of reading about was six years old. Es verdad. The youngest American to die by suicide, too. One black, one, one, and one, one Caucasian. Mm -hmm. Most of them were six years old. I have their stories for another day's podcast, but the youngest recorded human to die by suicide was five. She's oh. a Chinese girl. She and her siblings all killed themselves. There were other issues. They, they suspect that their 13-year-old brother set them up to it. Of course, they're not here to defend themselves. So I'm going to leave that piece of the story out because either way, all four siblings were pushed by their parents. They had been abandoned. Their house was full of feces and dirt and all kinds of things, the pictures of their room, and they just basically drank poison. So she's, she was five. Mm -hmm. But you hit on something. You hit on something. You hit on something. Ostracization, mm -hmm. bullying, mm -hmm. lack of resilience. And that's why my book, 
my Amazon bestseller, I talk about ways to raise your child to to put all these things back into kids, put into your kids, put resilience back into your kids, put humility, put gratitude, put all the things that we grew up knowing, kindness, mm. mindfulness, put all those things back into your kids, but start early. Don't pick up a 16 year old and suddenly want to tell them to start learning how to be kind. You know, when their whole life you haven't taught them kindness. Of course, you can still teach an old dog new tricks, but the younger, the better. And you also hit on the fact that children nowadays are just overall meaner. You know, I, 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 I call them keyboard gangsters. They stay behind the keyboard and they can type anything you know, and tell you to go kill yourself. Like how cowardly is that? So yes, you're right. There's so much to talk about. But yes, yeah, so besides the physical suicide, what about the work that you do? How are you, how are you getting, I mean, besides speaking about physician suicide, what about the other work that you do? Because I know you have all the things that you're doing. Well, another story that I tell is, is you know, the whole issue regarding uh, being a physician in today's healthcare environment. And uh, I was 60 years old, so that was seven years ago. I had, I had been in the military. I was a lieutenant colonel in the military. I, I you know, I was chief of a department. I was assistant chief of a department. I wore a lot of hats in my career. But as healthcare evolved, I decided, well, you know, this whole hospital employee thing, let me just sort of see what that's all about. Well, you know, I didn't last very long. And partly because of the fact that uh, I am an old dog and it is difficult for me to learn some new tricks. The electronic medical record, learning how to use something called the Pixis system for drugs, and it, there were just a lot of things that I I just was having difficulty absorbing. But I am an exceptional anesthesiologist, and it was like, so you're going to ding me because I did not waste this drug, or I did not do this, or I didn't fill out this piece of paper. Yet the patient is alive. I know. And, well. So what, what are you actually calling me into the office to slap my hand for? So finally, that happened. I got called into the principal's office, and I'm sitting there, doors oh closed, and I'm being berated for a, a, a clerical error. You know, had nothing to do with patient. And let me tell you, it started, I could just feel it. It started in the pit of my stomach. It got acidy. It just sort of rolled up and everything. And finally, I spewed out, you're an idiot. Oh, my word. And I said that to him and to, his, to the assistant, you know, uh, the assistant uh, chair. And I just said, I'm done with this. You know, this is ridiculous. I got up. I stormed out. And do you know I got fired? I thought you were going to quit before they fired you. Like, I would have <laughs> just quit. Well, but you know what? It was time. It was time. You were also you were also ready because you've been going yes. going through your mind that you know this is yes. what I call institutionalized medicine because and not in not in the sense that we are the patients. We are the ones in chains. We are the me mental patients in the institution of medicine today. We the doctors. Mm -hmm. Hence the advent of direct primary care for those who care. You know who want to do that. But institutionalized medicine—that's what we are. You always must check these boxes. What about the patient? What about the fact that I went to medical school to save lives? Like when did we become this? And you know why? You know when we became when we as doctors allowed non-doctors 
to tell us what to do. Yes, 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 yes. It, it, I don't know when it happened. I think it probably started in 2000 and just sort of moved. But when medicine became a business, yes, you know, we were not at the top tier anymore. We were just a cog in the system that could be controlled. And because we are not unionized and we don't have a collective voice, yes. you know, we are being controlled. That's right. And I'm, you know, I, whenever I speak about my story, I have, I always try to understand that there are physicians out there that are in debt. They have, you know, families, they have all these things that they may not be able to make the same choice that I made. But the key is that, they need to make a choice. choice, a choice, a choice, and not just wallow in the, the, the drama that drags you down, that puts you into that dark place where, you know, you, you can't get out of it. You get up in the morning, you're sad. You go to work, you're sad. You, you fake your smile. You take care of your patients. Patients can sense. Patients can sense when you're not well. And that your attitude, and if you, you know, you have to be happy. When I walked out of that hospital after they fired me, I had to do what we call the perp walk. I don't know <laughs> if you know about that. No, ma'am. <laughs> they send you, they, the security comes with you to your locker. Oh, Lord. Stand there, make sure you're not stealing anything. I know, that's right. <laughs> yeah. And, and I had a bunch of scrubs that I wanted to take home with me, but I didn't get to. They said, you know, Dr. Charity, you have to leave those. I go. Oh man! But they've got your name on it. Who else is gonna? Who else is gonna use your scrub that's got your name on it? No, no, these are just general scrubs. I used to spin them, so yeah, they weren't didn't have my name on them. Mine do now. But anyway, so then I had to go down an elevator with security. Oh wow! They deactivated my badge and kicked me out the door. Oh. And now the only way I could go back in the hospital was as a patient. As a patient. Yeah, but this is the way you treat a physician. I know. And I used to be chief of the department. Oh my hospital. Yeah. What? Yeah. Was yeah. this while you were active duty while you were still in boots? No, no, no. Oh no, 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 oh, no. Thank God. No, 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 no. No. I, I enjoyed my military experience. So did you retire, ma'am? Did you retire? From the military? No, I did not. Okay, me neither, oh, no. me neither. But oh. you see, we have that in common too. We're both lieutenant colonels and we're both chiefs. That's amazing. I was also commander and I was medical director. And this yeah. is just amazing. Wow. Give me deja vu from my days in the military. So yeah, yeah, I need to listen to you and charge for my worth, right, Doc? <laughs> yes, you do. Yes, you do. You have a story to tell, as I've told you before, Dr. Lulu. You have yes, a story ma'am. to tell that is worth, has value to it. Yes, yeah. ma'am. So, but, I'm sorry. And so what about any favorite quotes, any favorite books, favorite apps that you use? How do you cope? I know you're taking your medication now and you're getting counseling and thank God for you because one of the episodes I'm going to do a monologue on is finding the right therapist because mm-hmm. that's a huge part of doing well with your therapy sessions. Simply yeah. But so what else are you doing to well, help you cope? Yeah. Well, you know, you said that I put humorous on the end of my title. And the reason I did that is that when I made a decision back then that I was going to quit medicine, obviously I did not totally quit medicine. I went part-time. I decided that I wanted to be a stand-up comic. 
Oh my God. That's what I decided. Actually, I decided I wanted to be a stand-up comic, lounge singer, voiceover actor. Hey man, you've got the voice though, man. All, all of these things that I wanted to do that, because you know in medicine, it's sort of medical, you know, college, medical yes. residency, work, work, work. Not a lot of outside interest unless you already have a talent. Be lying, be lying too. Yeah. My wife tells me that you should, you, you're in the wrong field. My father tells me the same thing. He said, I can literally do anything that I want. I, people mm -hmm. marvel when I tell them I'm a doctor, but I also braid hair. I do sister locks. They're like, what? Yes, I do because I can. And you, just because you're a doctor, I'm an Uber driver. Watch it. Yes, I'm Dr. Lulu, the Uber driver. Yes. And they're like, what? Yes, I am. I could do all of those things and then more. I can uh -huh. act. Can't sing too much, but hey, you know what? I'll sing in the back, in the back, if you want me to. But it's like stop limiting yourselves and mm -hmm. just oh, I'm a doctor, and that's who I am, and that's all I am, and that's what's killing us because we can't mm -hmm. help ourselves to look beyond the other facets of our lives. You became yourself through, you know, a doctor, but you were yourself first. You had all these other things going for you before you finished medical school. What about those things? I used to act when I was in high school. I used to, yeah. I was like my 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 record my high school record for for long jump is unbroken wow and, and, is, and i left high school 35 years ago my record wow. is unbroken so and i you know i speak french i speak eight languages because i can't wow. you know, it's like there's so many things and then when i tell people they're like what C'est soi. C'est soi. C'est vrai, c'est vrai. Je veux coucher avec toi. Mais, um, my wife. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> ah. Well, that's that so, I mean, you, you, as you said, we are multifaceted. Yes, ma'am. The reason why I, I personally feel we have this situation with burnout, depression, physician suicide is that people have locked themselves into that persona of being a physician and they will not let people see any other part of them. So I started taking, I started going to comedy classes. And let me tell you, the first open mic I did, I, 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 my jokes are all about the fact that I'm an anesthesiologist and I get no respect. You know, <laughs> I'm the Rodney Dangerfield of medicine. I always Are say, you sure about that? I'm a pediatrician. We get absolutely no respect. <laughs> yeah. None. I'm a pediatrician. I think the three of us, you, me, and the next door psychiatrist, three of us get like, are you a doctor? Like people still call oh, me. Oh, yes. They, they walk up to me and say, Miss Ume. I'm like, uh, that would be Dr. Ume. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, nurse Ume, uh, mm -hmm. I just saw you and I just wrote your prescription. And yeah. the nurse just told me, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And as a fact that we are women of color. Oh God. You know, that that is another story in and to itself. Now, you know, I do have a background in that I do tell people my background is that I grew up in the segregated South in Virginia, mm. where where, you know, back then I still remember when they first integrated the, the high school and I was one of the first blacks to attend this white high school. Wow, I want to read your memoir, man. Yeah, well, I've, yeah, it's written. You know, someday it'll get published. <laughs> but, uh, and, I, and I tell stories about that. I, I, I say to people, you know, I'm an anesthesiologist. Yeah, you know, I pass gas for a living. Ah, let me tell I you. Love that. I love yeah. That. yeah, let me tell you, 
Growing up in the land of collard greens and black eyed peas, I used to pass gas for free. Literally. <laughs> yeah. But now they pay me to pass gas. I love it. I, yeah. love it. I want to come so, visit to you. I want to come watch you. Yeah. Yeah. So I do an open mic. And it was so funny. I did this open mic uh, a couple of years ago before I relocated. And I'm telling my story. I'm doing all this stuff. And then two days later, I go to my job. And I, the patient comes into the room and I go, hi, I'm Dr. Charity, your anesthesiologist. The guy sits bolt upright on the stretch. He goes, I know who you are. <laughs> and I go, oh, my goodness. You know, did I do something wrong? Is he going to sue me? You know, all of that. He goes, you were at open mic the other night. You're a real doctor. <laughs> <laughs> no, like literally that would have been the ideal time to say, no, I've just played one on TV. Like, yeah. see what well, what I did, yeah. but then my my cop, you know, the surgeon said, "No, no, no, yeah, she she's a real doctor." Kind oh of thing. my word, that's but amazing. The way I de-stress myself is, um, I have done things that um, you know I would have never thought that I would do, and that is my open mic. You know, I joined a group to called Toastmasters. I went out and started speaking and winning awards, and I went off to Kuala Lumpur to wow. the world championship i am doing stuff that being a physician is good street cred but i'm a person too exactly i'm a person i'm a person and i want other people to see that doctors are human also mm -hmm. for whatever reason we have been put up they think we have superpowers we can't make a mistake because i have been sued also we oh, can't wow. make mistakes. And I don't even call it a mistake. I, a lot of times I say a misadventure because I didn't get up in the morning and say, yes, today exactly. I'm going to go. Hurt. Exactly. Exactly. Oh. Exactly. Uh. exactly. And at what point in time do you, you know, here I am, I was 20 years into my practice. I'm getting sued for malpractice. And I'm now being told, being people are saying to me, you're incompetent, you're negligent. Oh what happened God. to all of those patients that I have done that did well? That did well. And besides that, did know, well too. I can't handle the double standard. I yes. can't handle it because they will give their barber a break. They will give the hairdresser, the painter, they'll give everybody a break. They'll mm -hmm. give the guy who messes up your car and you get in a wreck because of the mess up a break. They'll do anything. But when it's the doctor, oh my God, oh my mm -hmm. God, you must be. 100%, forgetting that you're only one piece of the whole journey. Mm -hmm. You know, there's so many levels. I might be dealing with a divorce like I was in my own case. You know, mm -hmm. I wasn't sued, but I had an abusive marriage for 13 years that the only day I decided to leave him was the day my now 19-year-old, then six-year-old son threw his dish at me because he had finished eating because that's what his father did. Mm -hmm. I don't want to raise another little him. I didn't mm -hmm. even eat for myself. And then soon after that, one night I woke up homicidal. I was homicidal. I wanted to get a pair of scissors and do something on the left side of his chest because mm -hmm. I know how to do it. I was like, you know what? This is too toxic. I got to get out. Mm -hmm. but, but that's me. So, and then I come to work, like you said, smiling. Mm -hmm. Oh, everything is okay. Not coming right. from slack. I am human. Mm -hmm. But the more we start taking back, the more we start saying, this is my lane and I belong here with the rest of y'all. I just wear a white coat. 
with everybody else who wears a white coat anyway, <laughs> you mm -hmm. know, and maybe, maybe the more we speak about it, the more we speak out. Yeah. We we just need to show people, you know, when I did my TED talk, I all I said to the audience was that, you know, because I was telling everything about physician suicide, but at the end I said, you know, why do you think I'm telling you this? And I said, the reason is why don't you care about the people who care, care about for you? I care love about people who care for, for you. Yeah. What is this assumption that when I walk into your room, that for some reason I'm the enemy or whatever, or you can say anything you want to me, you can debase me, but I have to keep a smiley face on and not tell you, here's the door. I don't want you as a patient anymore. We have to fight to, to divorce our patients. I know. You know, and so I, I don't understand that. And so I informed the audience, I said, just to let you know, March 30th is National Doctors, Doctors Day. Doctors Day. <laughs> Every year. Every year. It doesn't what change. What I want you to do is when you walk into your doctor's office, you stand in the middle of the waiting room and you go, happy Doctors Day. <laughs> I love it. You know? I love it. Yeah. And, and just appreciate the fact that we know what we're doing. And we have good days and we have bad days, but we put our Just pants on the same way as everybody else does. We have one heart, two kidneys, two lungs. All of our parts are the same. What is it that you perceive that makes us different from you? Wow. I don't think there's a better place to stop than there. Okay. Doctor's Day for all of us. Whenever we get there, every March 30th, every year, it doesn't change. It's like Valentine's Day. Or Valentine's Day, like some people say in the South. Fourteenth <laughs> of February doesn't change. March thirtieth does not change. Thank you. Muchisimas gracias <laughs> from the bottom of my heart, Doc, for this. It was amazing. It was fun. I knew it was gonna be fun. We're talking about something heavy, but I knew you were gonna put a nice fun twist to it. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And thank you, Dr. Lulu. You're doing a great service for physicians and young people alike. And I am so glad that we met and there will be more collaboration in the future. There's no question about it. I have no question about it. So you all have heard her. Her name is Dr. Lynette Charity. You know what? Hopefully she'll give me a link to her TEDx talk so I can put it in the show notes. We would like to support her and watch it and blow it up and make it go viral. The one doctor that's talking about doctors, the same people that you go to every day when you're sick and help you feel better. When each, when one doctor dies, I hear that's one million patients that have lost their doctor. That's a lot of people. So please, like I always end by saying, be kind to each other. Today, be kind to your doctor. Get a, a get a bouquet of flowers, find a card, do something nice for your doctor, not just your teacher. Send them an apple, something. But be nice to your doctors. You've heard that we're human too. We die too. We kill ourselves too. And we don't want that. And you don't want that. So on that note, I want to say thank you so much for listening to another episode of Suicide Pages with Dr. Lulu. We listened to Dr. Lynette Charity's page today. Stand by for when I publish that because I think it's going to be one of my probably, hopefully, top downloaded episodes by the grace of God. Thank you all so much for always listening to me. I know sometimes I don't talk sense, but most times I do. So on that note, I'll see y'all later. Stay blessed. Bye. 
Ladies and gentlemen, you've heard it from her mouth. Talk about hearing from the horse's mouth. Dr. Lynette Charity, a phenomenal woman, a phenomenal doctor, a woman that's making waves, if I may say so. I'm so grateful that our paths crossed. She has got a lot to say and hopefully a lot more to do. She's 77, 67 years old, excuse me, and just doing it, doing it bigly the way it should be done. Her story essentially is one of survival. Survival. She's seen the end of the road and basically did not want to go that, that route. She actually got on top of the bridge but never jumped. An amazing woman has, has now turned her story into money, essentially. She's a speaker and she's doing all these things, just amazing stuff, including a TEDx talk. It doesn't get any better than that. We're very, very grateful that she has graced our pages today to Net Charity. Please, anyone who's listening to me, download this episode, share it, spread the word. We are on all the podcasts, platforms you can think of, and I'll see you all next time. All right, folks, this is Dr. Lulu signing off. Thank you.